the prayer of that song, Let's Be Beautiful, is exactly the reason why we've been reading over the last three weeks the book 42 Seconds, which is really about practically learning how to live a beautiful life, a life that shows Jesus to others. And so hopefully you're caught up with us. We've been reading this last week, the section called Be Brave, and we're going to talk about uh, some of how we can do that this morning. And next week, we'll do the last section, which is Be Jesus. And then next weekend during the service, we'll have a sort of a video wrap-up of the book that we've been reading. So we want to talk about how we can be beautiful. A couple of years ago, I uh, went to get a haircut at a place I don't normally go to. And I sat in the chair with this uh, young woman, and we struck up a conversation, and I asked her questions, and she asked me questions. And pretty soon she came to that question that as pastors we all dread, which is, what do you do? Oftentimes the answer uh, shuts down the conversation. But I said, I'm a pastor at Lincoln Bridge. She goes, you're just the person I wanted to talk to today. That was even scarier. I said, yeah, why is that? She says, I've been dating this guy for a few years. And all of a sudden in the last month, something has happened to him. And all he can talk about is Jesus. And I'm just kind of freaked out about it. I thought I knew him. And all of a sudden, he just can't help but talk about what God has done in his life and who Jesus is and and help me understand, what am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) I prayed real quick. And this is what came to me. You know, I said, when you get something uh, brand new or something really exciting happens in your life, what do you do? She says, I tell everybody about it. I said, that's exactly right. He has had a brand new encounter and experience with God. He's come to know Jesus. It's changed his life, and he can't help but talk about it. It's just oozing out of him. She goes, that's really, really helpful. I said, just listen. Just, in, just enjoy. So I think every one of us in the room this morning who know Jesus personally, know the same two truths that that young man knew. And one is that the the gospel of salvation in Jesus is really, really, really good news. Right? We know that. We've experienced that. And the second thing we uh, we know that that young man knew also is that we have been given the amazing privilege and opportunity and responsibility to share that great news with other people around us. We get that. We know that. We feel that. We feel compelled to want to tell others about it. That's why our series is entitled Compelled, because there's something in us, the presence of God in us, compels us to want to share this with others because we know it's really, really good news. So what is the problem? The problem is, how do I do that? Right? How do I do that? How do I do that in a way that just fits who I am? I'm not Pastor Clark. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not a preacher. I'm not eloquent. I'm not... Fill in the blank, right? How can I, just as the person that I am, be authentically and effectively a good communicator of Jesus to people who don't know him. 
So that's what we want to help with this morning. We're going to be very, very practical, okay? We're not doing a whole passage and go into all the theology. We get the theology. We know that we're called to be on mission, right? But let's just talk practically about how we're going to go about doing that. And to do that, we're going to use one verse of Scripture. You don't even have to open your Bible because it's going to be on the screen the whole time this morning, okay? I hope you memorize it. I hope it gets deep into your soul, because in this verse are three critical elements to being an authentic and effective communicator of the love of Jesus to others. And there's a flow to this verse and to these three elements. And if we get the flow wrong, we're not going to be very effective. And if we skip one of the elements, we're not going to be very effective. So it really does matter. All right? If you take notes... Take notes, because there's going to be some good and important questions that you need to think about and some suggestions that I have for you this morning. So here's the verse. It's on the screen, 1 Peter 3.15. I want you to read it out loud together with me, okay? But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. First element for you and I to effectively and authentically communicate Jesus is that very first phrase, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify means set apart as distinct from all others. So as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, what we know is that all that we need for life is found in Jesus, right? Jesus is everything. Jesus is our master. He's our savior. He's our Lord. And we should follow him and listen to him. And we need, in order to live life well, right, we need to be filled up with him. We need him to fill us up. I like what Jesus said in John 15 when he was talking about, you know, where we get our strength from in life. And he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Okay, use this vineyard scene. And the life is in the vine. The branch does not bear fruit of itself, he says. In other words, God's not saying, hey, go out and change the world. Go out and hope and get it done. He's saying, first of all, you draw your life from the vine, from Jesus himself. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You will live a life of love. You will be able to do the next two elements. But we have to be filled up with Jesus in order to authentically and effectively share him with others. He needs to be oozing out of us sort of every single day. So going to church once a week is not going to do it, right? It's an important thing, but it's not going to make us full of Jesus every single day. So we have to have the discipline of reminding ourselves every single day, I need to get connected to Jesus. I need to be deeply rooted and connected to Jesus every single day. And that's more than saying, okay, I know good Christians are supposed to read their Bible and pray, check, check, check. This means that I get on my face before God and I say, God, if I don't have you filling my life today, if I'm not in submission and surrender to you, if I'm not submitting to you and listening to you all through the day, I'm going to miss what you have for me today. I need you to fill my life today. And that's how we ought to start every single morning. And some of you may be like me, where once a day in the morning isn't going to be enough. All right? Because pretty soon you get busy 
And then you kind of forget and you lose touch and you start going it on your own. And so maybe it's multiple times a day you have to stop, slow down, listen, reacclimate that I need to be filled with the life of Jesus. Now, we're all familiar with the story of Daniel. And when I was a kid, I always thought we, the sort of the way I heard the story was Daniel was super, super religious and righteous, right? I mean, he was so religious that three times a day he stopped and he opened his window and he prayed, like he was a really pious person. But I've come to think of that very, very differently. You see, Daniel was in the middle in a high position, surrounded by people who didn't know God, and he knew that he was the representative of God in that place, and that tremendous opportunity that he had, but also a tremendous responsibility that he had, almost singularly in that place. And I think what Daniel did is, is what I experienced in my life, is that he knew that just in the morning getting with God wasn't going to be enough for him to be full of God all the way through the day. So three times a day. He stopped. He reacclimated. He got himself back in connection, deeply rooted and connected to God. So whatever it takes, okay, this is really practical. You can't skip this step, right? If we're not full of Jesus, we will never get to the next two parts effectively of this verse. All right? So what's the next thing? Well, the next phrase says, always being ready to make a defense always being ready to give an answer, right, with gentleness and reverence. So there's a talking part to this. Like, if we're going to be authentically sharing Jesus, we're going to have to use words. But the next phrase has to come first, before the talking. Notice what it says. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So... Before I get to words, there's something that people ought to see in me that causes them to ask questions, which leads then to conversation. Both of these phrases make a huge assumption, and I want to talk about that for just a second, okay? The huge assumption that Peter is making here, and it makes sense because these were a very little band of Christians and a in a big, unbelieving culture that they were living in. The assumption here of this verse is that the people he's talking to and us, we are in close proximity and relationship with people who don't know Jesus. Okay? We're in close proximity to people who don't know Jesus. That's the assumption of this verse. Now, here's the sad reality, okay? Because we don't, uh, there are a lot of believers and a lot of Christians in our community, and so it's possible for us to literally just surround ourselves with other Christians. And one of the reasons, you know, we never get to either the living or the speaking in a way that engages people who don't know Jesus, we're not in proximity or in relationship with them. In fact, Statistics show that within just a few years of a person becoming a follower of Jesus, they've lost almost all of their non-Christian friendships. So I want to ask you to think about who's in your circle who doesn't know Jesus, right? Are you pursuing friendship with people who don't know Jesus? Are you paying attention to the people who serve you, wait on you, the places that you go regularly and have contact with? Are you seeing them as in your circle? Okay, So those are the people that both our life and our words need to speak to. 
But it doesn't do any good to have a heart for this if we're not in proximity and relationship with people who don't know Jesus. All right? So let's talk about this. I've read this verse dozens and dozens and dozens of times in my life, and I really kind of skipped over this uh, to uh, answer those who ask you to give a reason for the hope within you. About a year ago, Josh Luce gave me this little book by Michael Frost called Surprise the World. Very little book. But the first chapter of that book was entitled A Questionable Life. And it's taking this verse right here in this phrase, and he unpacks it to say, does, here's his question, does our life raise questions or create curiosity about our faith? Do I live in such a way that people go, you, it doesn't make sense to me how you live. I want to know more. There's something unusual about you. There's something different about you. There's something attractive about you. There's something that stands out. You don't look like everybody else. One of the things that he talked about is a theory of uh, communication, and that is when there's a a high level of uh, predictability, there's low impact. So if we look like everybody else, we have very little impact. We just don't. So here's the question. What is it about your life that stands out, that so looks like Jesus, that people would go, whoa, I need to know more about what you've got. There's something different about you in an attractive, sort of a curiosity-raising way. So let me tell you a couple things that I don't think raise curiosity. The fact that you show up at church every week. I don't think that's a particularly curiosity-raising thing. Lots of people go to church. The fact that you have a nicely manicured lawn, the envy of the neighborhood, I don't think that that's going to raise many questions about your faith, right? The fact that you pay your taxes, hold down a job, wave to the neighbors, you know? These are just polite, normal things we do. So here's the question. What do you think we could live like that would be so unusual, so like Jesus, that it would actually raise questions, create curiosity, which would lead to conversation? Now, I've been thinking about this over a year, and literally I've come up with several dozen things that are in the Scriptures that Jesus talks about. A good place to start is the Sermon on the Mount right after the verses that Ryan shared last week about be the light of the world, and he starts unpacking ways that we should live like Jesus that are so radical, so out of the ordinary of our culture. But I want to share just three ideas with you this morning, okay, about how our life could look so different that it would raise questions. And these three things, if we live them flowing out of the life of Jesus that fills us up, will create opportunity for us to talk. Here's the first one. If we are more interested in other people and we care more about other people than we even do ourselves, right? If we have an others-focused life, we care about them, we invest in them, we serve them, we love them, we reach out to them, we ask them questions, we're others-centered. It doesn't matter whether it's the waitress at the restaurant or the person who checks you out at the gas station or the person who cuts your hair. Wherever we go, we're interested in people, we care about people, and it shows, it flows out of us, we care. And even more than that, take it another step further, we try to build relationships with people who are different than us. Whoa, that's radical. It is, because most people 
Most of us want to find people who are pretty close to like us, and then we huddle together, right? We're comfortable there. It's safe. But I'm telling you, Jesus went to the other. He built relationship with the other, and that is so radical, so different, that it will raise questions. Why do you do that? Why do you have friends like that? Why are you interested in that? Why are you serving? Why are you taking your time and your money and your talent and serving people instead of building your own life? Because we live in a very selfish culture. So that's radical. If we live an other-centered life, I promise you, people will sit up and take notice. A month ago, a businessman here in our church was killed in a car accident, and I did the funeral. And what played out over the days, immediately after his death, was dozens and dozens and dozens of people coming forward to say, this man helped me, this man served me, this man gave me uh, what I needed, this man gave me money, this man helped me, this man gave me opportunity. And it was dozens and dozens and dozens. Every place he went, he was thinking about how he could serve and help somebody else. One of the stories the family told was leaving church here on Sunday morning and driving to a restaurant, and they came upon the guy with the sign, we'll work for food. We've all seen that sign, right? And we all just sort of like, don't look the other way, right? Don't make eye contact. This man drove past, and then he whipped a U, and he came back around, and he got out his business card, and he wrote his number, and his, said, call me tomorrow if you want to work. I've got work to do at my house, and I'd love to pay you and help you out. And that man showed up and worked for that week. And his wife told me that oftentimes at their house, guys would just show up to work around the house. Like, who are you? Well, you know, your husband invited me to come and work. And 700 people came to that funeral. And many of them didn't know Jesus. But you know what? Their curiosity was piqued because he lived such an other-centered life. Who is this guy? What is it about him? And they got a chance to hear the gospel. So that's one. Second thing, and I think God uses this often in helping uh, people be curious, and that is when we suffer well. When we suffer well. When we're not undone by trials and difficulties and pain and loss, and we have this quiet calmness because it comes from God, people go, whoa, how do you do that? How do you walk through that kind of pain? How do you walk through that kind of loss? How do you walk through that kind of suffering that comes in all kinds, shapes and sizes, right? But when we do that with calmness and a quiet confidence, because we know that God's on the throne and he's with us, we're not alone in it, and God just provides what we need when we're full of Christ in the middle of that, when we suffer well, that will raise curiosity. In fact, I believe probably more people come to faith in Christ because of having seen someone go through a hard, hard thing in a grace-filled way, that it is attractive, really attractive. Now, we could talk about forgiveness and being quick to forgive and quick to ask forgiveness. That's radical and rare, right? But here's one more that goes way over the top that Jesus was... Uh, full of, and he's invited us and told us to do the same thing. And it's found in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of that chapter, and he and Jesus said, you have heard it said, right? The culture says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the world's view, right? Love those who love you, hate the people who dislike you, or don't like you, or hate you, or do, do something towards you. And Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for them. Not pray for their demise, right? Pray for them. Seek to serve them. Seek to love them. Seek to do good back to them. That is so radical. If you love your enemies, your enemies won't know what to do with that. And they may be the very people that God's trying to use you to reach. We moved into our neighborhood uh, 14 years ago, and we were told it was an unfriendly neighborhood. We didn't really understand that. Our, in our cul-de-sac, our welcome, my wife took some baked goods around different people, and two of the neighbors came over and said to my wife, I'm here to put you on notice. Keep your children off my property. Hey, welcome to the neighborhood. And they really have been... You know, they're not, these are not friendly people. One guy has been very aggressive and nasty to several of the other neighbors. And so, you know, my uh, pious response to that was, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to be mean back, but I'm just going to step back. I mean, why would I reach out to people who clearly don't want to have anything to do with me? And when I started to think about Jesus saying, love your enemies, I'm thinking, uh-oh, I don't think that's what God's called me to do. So I've started praying, you know, regularly for those people and looking for opportunity to do something good, to reach out to those people. You could probably think of a lot of other things, but I challenge you to think about it. What is it that God would call you to live? How would God call you to live in such a way that would be so different than the world that would raise questions, create curiosity? So a Christ-filled life, leads to a life that raises questions and curiosity and attracts people who want to then have a conversation. And we get to that phrase, to be ready to give make a defense, right? Be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you, right? But do it with gentleness and reverence. So let's talk about that. Once again, your life, it's better when your life speaks before your words speak. All right? 95% of the time, our sharing of our faith is going to flow out of our life speaking over a period of time before we get to words. Okay? God rarely, sometimes there's weird things where we just get into conversations with people we don't even know. That's so rare. And I think that's what we're all afraid of, right? We're all afraid somebody's, we're going to sit down on a plane next to somebody and somebody's going to go, hey, tell me about who you are and about your faith. And then we got to, oh, yeah, but, you know, whatever. But we're talking about let's live in front of people, with people, in such a way that they ask the questions, and now we're responding to their questions, right? We're not forcing something on them. We're responding to their curiosity. This is how God calls us to live. So here's a couple of things that he says we should do. We should be ready. First of all, not he doesn't say be ready to answer every theological question anybody throws at you, all right? We send those to Pastor Clark. What it does say is be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Now that involves two very basic things. One is that you ought to be able to share your own story with Jesus. Right? In your own words, in your own way. This is what I was. This is where I was at. Then I met Jesus. This is how that came about. And this is what my life is now. Hey, I'm not perfect. I've got a lot of things, but I'm not doing it alone. And God's with me. And I have peace and confidence and joy. Put it in your own words, but you have to know how to do that. You should be prepared. We should expect, it says always be ready, expect that you're going to be asked questions when you live a questionable life and be ready to share your story. Simple, short. You know, don't give them the three-hour version of your life. You'll lose them. 
The second thing that you ought to be able to share and be ready at all times to share is a very simple, basic story of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. It can be very short, very simple. Jesus, I believe Jesus was the son of God. He came, lived a sinless life. He died to take the sins of the world. My sin on himself. He rose again on the third day. He's alive and he's present and he's changed my life. And he wants to change yours. I mean, that's the simple gospel, right? Let me illustrate that. In second grade, I had just become a Christian. And I was really excited about Jesus. And we had a little Gideon New Testament in my uh, house. And so I enthusiastically took it to school. And over the lunch hour, uh, I had a, a, a friend... Um, and we went out into those big concrete barrels that they had on the playground, and we got inside there like we often did and chatted and talked or shot marbles or whatever we did. And I said to my friend Frankie, Frankie, I just found out this verse thing, and I showed him the only verse I knew in the Bible, which was John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. And I showed, I opened the Bible, I said, Frankie, look at this. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Right? That whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. Frankie, I believe that. Do you believe that? You know? I don't know what I said. I'm sure it was stupid and, you know, I tripped over my words. This was not the makings of a preacher or anything like that. Trust me. And, uh, you know, nothing happened, right? Frankie didn't say anything. He didn't jump up and down and say, yes, I believe. He didn't fall on his knees. Nothing happened, okay? Seven years ago, just before my dad died, he went to Frankie's father's funeral. This is 45 years later. And Frankie came up at his dad's funeral and says, Bob, I don't know that anybody knows this. I've never told anybody. But he said, I did not believe when Mark first shared that with me, but I thought about it, and I couldn't forget those words, and I trusted Christ. And then a brother of mine and a sister of mine and then another sibling and another sibling, and then my mom and my dad, and the whole family are followers of Jesus. Now, that is not about me, okay? That's a second grader, Right? The power is in the gospel, right? If I just have to be ready to share it, share a verse. Let your enthusiasm for Jesus show in a simple, simple sort of way. Now, here's a couple of other things that we need to be aware of as we engage in conversation, okay? One, think friendship. Think friendship. You're not, they're not a project. You have the same goal that Jesus has, and that is to take somebody who's far and make them a friend. God wants that person who doesn't know him to become a friend. So my objective is to help make a friendship with them. So that ought, to, that ought to enter into how I ever talk to anybody, right? I should talk to them as though I'm building a friendship. And we're just taking it a little bit at a time. We're letting it go where it needs to go. I want the friendship more than I want to get something said. I want to be your friend. I want to walk with you in life. I care about you. And so I approach my conversation like I would with a friend and building a friendship. And I, you know, you do that. You can do that with anybody that you're out in the community and you're in touch with. You interact with them in a way that you think over time we could build a friendship. Second thing, right? You're just having a conversation. You're not giving a presentation. There's no sales involved. We cannot and should not sell Jesus. Right? 
We're just talking. As a matter of fact, uh, the Barna organization does research. They've researched a lot about evangelism and how it works and both what Christians do and, and how it works for them, but also what non-Christians want. The number one thing all of the non-believers that they inter- surveyed wanted was a conversation with a non-judgmental friend. If they wanted to explore faith, they wanted to do it with a non-judgmental friend and have conversation. So conversation, over time, listening. Ask questions, right? It's a give and a take of friendship. Let them lead. You don't have to lead. Let them lead. Let them ask the questions. Go where they want to go, little by little, bit by bit. Think many, 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 many conversations. Never get into the mode where you think, man, I never never have another conversation. i got to dump the whole load on them. Think multiple conversations. Give God space. To work. And then invite. Here's the next thing. Invite people into further exploration. If they're really interested, then you invite them. Hey, you want to read the gospel with me? You want to get together and talk? You know, you want to come to church with me? Here's a book to read. I'd love to hear what you think about it, right? So I have a gal that cuts my hair, and I see her every two weeks, and I've gone going there for maybe two or three years. And so we've built a really good friendship. She's opened up to me. I asked her tons of questions. I know about her family. I know about what she likes. I know about what she doesn't like. I mean, I know a lot about her, and I think she trusts me. We have a very trusting relationship. And one of the things I've noticed about her is that she has a very low view of herself, right? She doesn't feel very good about herself. She's always putting herself down, kind of making fun of herself. And uh, I said, you know, tell me something good about yourself. And she says, well, I don't mess up all the time. So here's what came to me one day. I said, do you have a Bible? She goes, yeah, I have a Bible. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to read Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is the one about how God, we're fearfully and wonderfully made about how God views us, how he loves us, he thinks about us, he cares for us. I said, you go home and read it. And in two weeks, I want to know what you think. So two weeks later, I come back. I said, hey, did you read that passage? She said, yeah, I did. And she said, when I first opened it up, I was really, really mad at you. And I said, you were mad at me? She goes, yeah, it started out by like, shut your mouth and be quiet and get still before God and repent. And I said, what? And she says, yeah, I realized I was reading Psalm 39. (laughs) She said, then I read Psalm 139, right? That was very helpful, she said. Long-term exploration, invitation, bit by bit, little by little. You can do this. And here's the last thing. That respect means that you respect their right to choose whether or not to believe. And doesn't change the way you view them. Think about them. Because you know why? Because God gave them the right to make that choice. God gave every human being the right to make the choice. So you and I, we have no pressure. Build a friendship. Listen. Have many conversations. Give and take. Invite. This is what God want, how God wants to use everyday, ordinary people like you and me. Be filled with the presence of Christ, which leads to living a life of, that creates curiosity and attraction, which leads to conversations, which leads to changed lives. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now. 
Some more people whose lives have been radically transformed by the power of God. And I hope that in your mind, as you think about the people in your circle, you're looking forward to seeing them on stage one day being baptized. And God wants to use you just as you are in the world where you live to have an authentic and effective impact in sharing the love of Jesus with others. God, may this be true of us. May we walk in these ways. May we imitate you in all these ways. And God, would there be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in, from the spheres and the circle of life that we all live in who will one day be on this stage sharing their story of what Jesus has done for them. This we pray in his name. Amen.